You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Good morning, church. As you can tell, I am not John, and that's okay, and he doesn't want to be me, I guarantee you. You know, my father had a, a little cartoon that was framed that would go on the wall and would show with a minister throughout all the days of the work, and you know, one day he was visiting somebody who was sick, and the other day he was, this was supposed to be like in the 1800s, he was chopping wood for another family, and just all week he's doing this, that, and something else. And then on Sunday, it shows him shaking the hands of one of the people after the service. And the guy said, man, I sure wish I was a preacher. Only get to work one day a week. <laughs> yeah, not really the way that goes. And so I'm glad that Uncle John has an opportunity to not have a day off, but a little more so than that. So thank you, JC, for teaching for him. And glad he has this opportunity. Do you guys know what the most common words Last words, excuse me. What the most common last words that a redneck says are? Yeah, Levi. Hey, y'all, watch this. He gone. Yeah. Or, okay, there's another one. It's, here, hold my Coke. Yeah. What were you thinking? Okay. Last words. Last words are something that intrigue me. Last words are something that... That should mean something. Last words are something that should should be some of the most important things that people say. And so last words. I started going through my Bible and I was looking up different people that are notable from the scriptures. And I looked at Abraham and I looked at Jacob and Joseph. And you know, Abraham, it really doesn't show any last words. He got to that point. He said he lived to a ripe old age and was content. And he died. I think that's the way I want to be. You know, say what's important now and be content. I like that. How about Jacob? Jacob had a blessing for his sons. Now, Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons. Okay, and he gave a blessing to each of them and kind of told what their futures were going to look like. And then he also wanted to say, okay, and bury me here. That was something that was important to him. Joseph. Joseph passed on his vision to his brothers. Now, after Jacob died, the brothers were afraid that Joseph was going to do something bad to him. They thought that Jacob was the one holding Joseph back from, you know, all the evil that they did to him. He was going to return that to them. But he told them, no, he wasn't going to do that. And he passed on the vision to his brothers. Here's where you need to go from here. Okay. He was the family leader. And he was the one that said, okay, this is where we're going. And then he also wanted to be buried with his father and gave instructions that they were to take his bones with them when they left the land of Egypt. Okay, taking care of business. How about Moses? Moses, there's quite a, quite a bit in there where he blesses the different tribes of Israel. And then it's interesting to me that there's quite a bit more, but, jo but Moses doesn't say anything. God takes him up on the mountain. God shows him what the promised land is going to look like. And then he dies. That's just kind of it for Moses. But before then, he passed on that blessing. 
How about David? David praised God for blessings and he praised God for justice. And then it shows him talking to Solomon. And Solomon was the king who came after him. And to Solomon he said, be a man. Hold fast to God. As long as your line, your sons, hold fast to God, you will have a ruler on the throne of Israel. And we know that that continued for a while. The scriptures tell us that. And then they did not, I mean back and forth, they did not hold fast to God. And that came to an end. But one of the things I find interesting about David, and, and David was a man of violence, and that's part of why he was such a, a great king of Israel, great leader, was he was able to conquer all of his enemies. But some of his last words to Solomon were, and then I want you to go and kill Joab, and I want you to go kill this guy, because he cussed me out when we were going, you know, when I was in exile. Okay, he's taking care of business also. He wants Solomon to be his hitman or, or set that up. He wants blood to come upon their head. And by the way, I don't condone that for us to do. Okay, it's probably not good if our last words are, and by the way, I want you to go off this person and that person because they wronged me. Okay? Just, just some last words there. And I find it intriguing how different they actually are and what the Bible found important to record. Solomon... You know, I would think that Solomon would be the one with the last words that I'd want to hear. And unless I just totally missed it, everything I looked at, I couldn't find any last words for Solomon. I mean, it talks about his death, all that, but that's all there is. And I think part of that is probably because Solomon said the important things before the end. How about some famous last words in history? I had to print this off so I could get this right. Okay. Entrepreneurs, P.T. Barnum, in 1891, his last words were, How are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? He was all about profit. And right up to the end. Now, was he paying attention to what was really important? Well, he wasn't going to be around to spend it. How about John Barrymore, the actor? He died in 1942, and he says, Die? I should say not, dear fellow. No Barrymore would allow such a conventional thing to happen to him. Doesn't work that way. Before slipping into a coma and dying nine days later, Sir Winston Churchill, the statesman who is famous for his commencement address of Never Give Up, died on January 24th of 1965, with, this last, with these last words, I am bored of it all. Never give up. I am bored of it all. How about this? To his housekeeper who urged him to tell her his last words so that she could write them down for prosperity, the revolutionary communist Karl Marx died with these last words. Go on. Get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Or how about a man after my wife's own heart, the writer Oscar Wilde, who died in 1900 saying, either this wallpaper goes or I do. <laughs> last words. What are we going to be remembered for saying as our last words? Well, more importantly, I want you to all turn to John chapter 19. I, by the way, I don't do the words up on the screen because I want you to get your Bibles out and I want you to look that up. 
I know it's not as convenient and you might have different translations, but I like to hear the pages. Okay, some of what we're going to be talking about right here actually comes from Matthew. Some of it comes from Luke. But John had the most complete account as for what happened to Jesus on the cross. And talk about last words. And my Bible has Jesus' words in red. And that, to me, means that those are the most important words that we need to listen to. And so on the cross, Jesus said seven things. And the first thing that he said is recorded in Luke. So you're not going to see it there in John, probably. But in Luke, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's Jesus, God's son, who came to this earth, never sinned so that he could be that perfect sacrifice for us. And they strung him up on the cross. Well, actually, they nailed him there. And even then, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'm not near that good. Okay? I'm going to be saying, look, I'm God. I'm not going to allow them to do this to me. Okay? Let's call down those angels. Let's squash them like ants. We can do this. But Jesus was so steadfast in his mission... about forgiveness, about making it so that we could be in heaven someday, about taking away our sins by paying our debt. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Also in Luke, and I guess you can turn there if you want, but we're going to move on pretty quickly. But also in Luke, it talks about the two men that were on each side of Jesus. Okay, there were three crosses. Jesus was in the middle, as we understand it, the, the men on each side. And they had earned their punishment. They had earned a sentence of death. And so as they're on the cross, one of the men is jeering at Jesus and saying, If you really are the Messiah, then get us down from here. What a contrast from the man on the other side who's saying, Hey, you need to stop saying that. We deserve being here. He doesn't. And he says, Jesus, remember me. When you enter your kingdom. And some of Jesus' last words there at that point were, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now some people want to use this, this I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail. Some people want to use this example to say, Well, you know, you don't really have to do all these things to, to be saved. Because, I mean, look at this man here. He didn't have to do anything but right at death say this to Jesus. Well, just keep in mind, Jesus can do whatever he wants, and it's not our place to decide to put those things upon Jesus' plan for salvation. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Let's keep our priorities straight. But Jesus had compassion on this man. Mercy showed grace. And to what extent? You know, we don't necessarily know. We have a pretty good idea. But Jesus found it important at that time to offer grace to this man that was dying next to him. How about responsibility? This one is in John. And if you look at verse 26, it says, well, actually, let's go to 25. It says, therefore, the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, 
He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. It says, From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. I think we talked a little bit about that this morning, didn't we? <clears throat> even there on the cross, even while he was dying, Jesus found it important to make sure his mother was cared for. In those days, the oldest son would be the one that would care for his mother and take care of her. And here is Jesus is dying on the cross. He looks down and, and all throughout the book of John, John writes about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so there's John and Jesus is passing on his responsibility to John so that John would take care of her for the rest of her days. It says, at that very hour. Jesus was taking care of business. Interesting how when we die, kind of like David, David was taking care of business, tying up loose ends. And that's some of what Jesus is doing here. In Matthew, it records that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says it became dark and the sun was blotted out and God turned his back on Jesus, basically. And to realize just how big a thing that is, that Jesus came to this earth and resisted the temptations of sin clear up to the very end and never sinned, and then to take on, Rick talked about this, I think last week. And then to take on the sins of the entire world. Can you imagine what that felt like? The shame, the guilt, knowing that. I mean, as Rick said, we know what it feels like when we sin and, and all that. But Jesus had never had that feeling. He was God who became as a man who was able to resist temptation. And if we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Him who knew no sin to be sin. And it was put to death there on the cross. Jesus says here, I am thirsty. And it says that they brought him some sour wine on a sponge and held it up there so that he was able to drink. Did you guys know that in the Old Testament, there was a, um, in Psalm 69, 21, it says, for, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. The Old Testament had so many prophecies that the Messiah was going to fulfill that there was basically no way that he would be able to fulfill all those. And this is one of those. And by Jesus saying this and by them lifting up a sour drink, he was fulfilling yet one more prophecy. You know, as I read this, I'm, I'm a little unsure in my study as to which of these next two came first. They're not recorded in the same place. Different writers give us a picture of what happened there. I, sh I shouldn't say it that way. Not a different picture of what happened, but they give us a different piece of the puzzle of what happened there. And I would want to say, just in my logic, which doesn't make this right, by the way, that Jesus said, it is finished just before he died. And both accounts say that he said these words just before he died. So I'm guessing they were right there together. 
But the other thing he said was, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. And that's exactly what dying did for him. But let's spend a little more time with, it is finished. The Greek word that he used there was the same word that they would put on the bottom of a tax receipt after the taxes had been paid. And it meant paid in full. And to say, it is finished is to say it's paid in full. The debt that we owed for our sins was paid in full 2,000 some years ago when Jesus died on the cross. What amazing last words to leave us with before he died there on the cross. It is finished, paid in full, it's done. Now, again, this is where if we were church a little farther south, you guys would say, Amen, brother. Yeah, anyways. Oh, come on. That was funny. <laughs> okay, okay. But those weren't the last words that Jesus said. And you guys should know that. But if you don't, Jesus rose from the dead three days later. He was completely dead. They buried him. They put a stone over the front of the tomb where he was laid. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and he left the tomb. And he got to say some other stuff to people. And let's look at some of what he says there. Most importantly, I'm thinking, to Simon Peter. There was a day where they went fishing all night. Jesus showed up on the shore. Jesus told them to cast their nets on the other side. When they did, they caught a whole bunch of fish. And then they figured out that it was Jesus. They went in, and Jesus took Simon Peter aside. And Jesus took the opportunity three times to ask him if he loved him. And all three times Jesus urged, excuse me, Peter said, you know I love you. And the last time he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And each time Jesus would reply with, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. And what he was doing was he was passing on to Peter that Peter needed to start the church. Peter was to get that ball rolling and, and Peter was to spend his life, even though he denied Jesus three times just before this, just before the crucifixion, he was giving him, him that redemption of feed my sheep, stay true, go, do this. And Peter was one of the key leaders in starting the church and getting that ball rolling. From then on, it was no longer the Jews that were important, but the church. And Gentiles were welcomed into that, not just the Israelite people. And that means that we get to be a part of that without converting to being a Jew. To the apostles, just before he ascended, he said, Go into all the world, teaching, preaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Make disciples of all nations. And there in the beginning of Acts, in Acts 1.8, he says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was where they were, and in Judea and Samaria, which is a little bigger area yet, and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascended into heaven, and he was gone. And we would think that those would be the last words. But then... John in his vision on the island of Patmos in Revelation. 
Jesus, at the very end of that, chapter 22, says a couple of things. And they are, heed my words, and I am coming quickly. Now this was almost 2,000 years ago, okay? I am coming quickly to me means in an hour, five minutes, something like that. But God doesn't have our time constraints, okay? Heed my words, I am coming quickly. And we do not, as to this day, know when Jesus is coming back. All the people that you see on TV and that make, write books and make this big stink about, well, Jesus is going to come at this time, at this time. Well, if they're pinpointing when that's going to be, Jesus said nobody knows. Even he didn't know at that time. So they're wrong, okay? That's just kind of the way that works. But Jesus could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back at another time. But the point is that we don't know what that is. And he says, heed my words. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. Because we don't know when it's going to be too late. And you don't wait. There's nobody else in this world that will do as much for you as Jesus Christ did. There's nobody else that's going to give their life for you and take away your sins, which he has already done. And so to live as if we owe more to our family or our spouse or our kids, or that just doesn't work. There's nothing in this world as important as Jesus Christ. And if you have not given your life to Him, if you have not entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, do not wait because that is the most important thing that you can ever do. And for those of you that have... What did he tell his apostles and disciples just before he left, after he rose from the dead? Go and make disciples of all nations. You're to be a missionary no matter where you live, no matter what you do. As soon as you walk out of these doors, you're in a mission field. And there's people out there that don't know Jesus Christ and they, don't, they haven't accepted that free gift that He has given us that allows us to be in heaven for eternity instead of hell. Don't be ashamed of your faith. Share it with people. Live in such a way that people can tell that you belong to God. He's coming quickly. And the older I get, I know I'm not that old, but the more I'm like, okay, let it be today. I'm, I'm tired of this. Let's get out of here. But on the flip side of that, there's still people out there that need to hear. And he isn't here yet. And so let's get out there and make disciples of all nations, shall we? Pray with me, please. Father, we love you so much, but not near as much as you love us. And as we look at the last words of people and the last words of Jesus Christ, I hope that we would find what is important in those words written in red here. The words of Jesus that are focused on forgiveness, are focused on taking away people's sins, are focused on the whole purpose of his time here on earth. I pray that those in this auditorium who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, I pray that they would do so, that they may live for eternity in heaven. 
And Father, for those of us who have given our lives to you, help to motivate us, help to help us to see the opportunities and make the most of them. We may reach people for you. And like Peter, thank you for giving us another chance and spurring us on to feed your sheep in which you're referring to lost souls. Again, we love you so much. Thank you for Jesus on the cross and his sacrifice. It's in his name that we pray.